0: We haven't turned off to brand messaging. We haven't turned off to the idea that we can attach ourselves and have loyalty to a brand. However, the biggest and boldest messages that we're willing to connect ourselves to and show loyalty to, follow, be fans of, are those that align with our personal values. We're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one.
1: Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about how to win back customers in a world where distraction is the new normal and change is the air we breathe. How do you break through the noise? And more importantly, how do you develop trust and credibility when the medium itself can be suspect? To help us, we have Stephen Denny, Managing Director at Denny Lineberger Strategy and co-author of Unfiltered Marketing, Five Rules to Win Back Trust, Credibility, and Customers in a Digitally Distracted World. Stephen, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, Thanks for inviting me on.
1: Uh, Oh, it's my pleasure. And before we jump into the topic, we always like to start with an interesting question just so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. And we've all had one heck of a year. So curious, when you look back over this past year, what's the largest and and most impactful lesson you've taken away from it?
0: I'll be honest with you. the, The biggest lesson I've taken away from this year has got nothing to do with business. But most of us listening to this podcast have no idea how lucky we are. I've got too many friends who have lost loved ones. I've got friends I know of who are losing their businesses Many of us, you know, work for substantial companies, or we consult for substantial companies. A lot of us are in technology, which is experiencing a boom time. So I, you know, well, you know what? I, I mean, I, I think you have to. We can preface this conversation with saying, "What a crazy year it's been." For a lot of us, it's been not too bad, and I think that's a sobering realization when you think about that. I will tell you one thing that I've that I've learned, and this is a little bit uh, more on the business side of the conversation. With, with, with every company that has thrown its workers home reflexively, right? Everyone's gone from the office culture to the work-from-home culture. It's stunning to me how so many companies have managed to transplant the worst of office culture and <laughs> sent it home, right? <laughs> Yes, Act to back meetings on Zoom all day long or on Teams or on whatever. And it's like meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. And I talk to clients who who we work with and it's like, well, we can fit you in on Friday. Uh, he's not, you know, he, he won't be having lunch that day because he's so busy. And it's like, we're working from home. This was the greatest opportunity ever to accelerate the work we do alone the productivity side, the thinking side, right? And we managed to screw it up in many cases. (laughs) Anyway, that's probably not the answer we were hoping to hear, but it's true. And maybe we can make it an exhortation to do things better if this continues much further.
1: Well, and I think those are two very, very powerful points, and we often with our clients will do. You know, I slow them down a second and do a gratitude exercise at the beginning of a workshop, even virtually. And there are many people, I mean, I, I can say on the business side, 2020 has been very good for for my business. On the personal side, just like you and many others, the, the amount of loss and of business, of friends, of relationships, of all of those things for many has been a challenge. But there are industries like fitness equipment industry has gone through the roof because everybody's building home gyms and tech. Um, So there's a positive side. I think we all just kind of need to stay positive in terms of the zoom stuff. I could not agree more. I, you know, I actually literally have gotten to the point where I've blocked, put on my calendar blocks of time where people can't schedule anything just so I can get a break from the the zoom fatigue that happens. And
0: that's good to do no matter what. Yeah. Time blocking is the key. (laughs) if, If your listeners are working in the corporate world, man the first biggest trend that we mined out of the research that went into unfiltered marketing, sorry, I'm jumping ahead, was called seeking control in an out-of-control world. And here we are in a world that we absolutely positively are not controlling. And one of the easiest things we can do is to block time out and seize back a little bit of control, not only for our own sanity and mental well-being, but but because that's where the meaningful work most often gets done it's that it's that work we do alone which has to be done before we can shift gears and do a good job at the work we do together
1: yeah and and let's so let's talk about the book it was based on 4 years of quantitative data yep. and that's a long i mean 4 years is a long time so i'm i'm mm-hmm. curious where the idea for the project the research but where did it come from
0: Sure. Once upon a time when uh, my partner Paul Leinberger and I began working together, I had just written a book called Killing Giants. That was back in 2011 when that book came out. And it was a deep dive exploration into how companies outmaneuver the giants they face in the marketplace. And it was a really interesting process to go through for me because it gave me an excuse to interview 80, 90 of really some of the world's most effective business people. And I interviewed Paul in the first chapter. He's a long time, many, many decades in the saddle as a trend researcher for the GFKs and the Yankaloviches and the future companies and people like that. And we made the decision. He had decided to go out on his own, hang out his own shingle. And we decided that if, if we're gonna continue this collaboration, we needed to develop our own trend framework. So from the Killing Giants experience, we distilled what we found were sort of three big pillars that came out of that book which were, and this was feedback we were getting from clients. This is feedback we were getting from chief marketing officers, CEOs, senior executives across the board who would ask us questions like, tell me something, what's the future of brand loyalty? And CMO would quickly wave his hands and say, listen, I I know we all have opinions. I wasn't asking you to answer the question. This is a rhetorical question. Everyone has an opinion. Do you have any research on this. And it's like, okay, now that's, that's time to write a note. And, and think about it a little bit more deeply. How can we help fortune 500 chief marketing officer get to the bottom of a really imponderable question in a time of a lot of change? What's the future of the digital footprint? How do we communicate? How do we express ourselves through, through a technological medium? And what does that mean to us personally? <laughs> and then, you know, personally for me, what's the future of work? Because a lot of my clients, particularly in that point in time, and it holds true, to this day, are in the unified communications endpoint collaboration space. So here we are, you know, we were looking at these three big pillars and we were fortunate. We got uh, a number of smart and very generous co-sponsors in the corporate world to underwrite it, get their own proprietary questions baked in to the survey instrument that we put together and thus begat this body of work called the Culture and Technology Intersection Study. And it was fascinating because the first year was 2016, we punched it out, didn't have any preconceptions at all. And we began to see some of these big macro trends emerging from this sea of data points. And over the next three years, about to go into the market again, actually, probably just after the first of the year, some of these big ideas began to come together and self-organize. So that was the origin of the research, and it's been a yearly tracking study ever since, companies duck in and co-sponsor it and get their own answers uh, to their own questions. And it's very helpful for them. And we workshop around that and provide them with data. But more importantly, we began to see these trends emerge. Some of them have been well-reported by respected research organizations, which gives us a little bit of confidence sure. that we're not crazy. <laughs> but you know what, Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, seeking control, very similar in terms of the insights from Edelman's excellent trust barometer, however we have some slight nuances in the way that we ask our questions and ask some questions that no one else asks and we discovered that yes in fact it's not just that we're living in an age of collapsing or i should say at the end of 2020 collapsed trust but we're not willing to let it go with that we are seeking control in an out of control world that was the big macro trend the first one that we came out with we're taking steps to wrest some control back of a world that we can demonstrably, tangibly see spinning out of our control. So from that, we realized there was a book to be had. Paul was a, a, an author and, and his book came out back in the 90s. Mine came out in 2011. So this is both of our second books, uh, our first one together. And it's been a fascinating process, fascinating to 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 write it and fascinating to go out and interview some really incredible people and have them share their experiences with us.
1: Yeah. And, and that concept of seeking control, I mean, I'm sure resonates with everybody who's listening right now. And then one of those, you know, very simple tactics to do that, that time blocking, We, we talk about time blocking with our clients all the time and they, some of these people will look at us like, how is that even possible? I can't, I can't control my calendar. Well, yeah, actually, yes, you can just eat the elephant one bite at a time. But aside from like, aside from the seeking control, what was, what was the next biggest, you know, insight or takeaway that you had around, you know, people attempting to pierce this digital veil that we all have? What was the one that surprised you or resonated with you the most?
0: I think the one that was the most interesting to me it's the one that gets a lot of people leaning forward the most was the, the macro trend we called raw and raw really speaks to this idea that because we're living in an age of collapsing trust the only thing that we're willing to trust is is now ourselves what we can see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears and and what our judgment tells us is true and increasingly what that means is i need to see the raw feed I need to see the live stream video or the email dump or the hidden video or whatever it happens to be. I want to see the data so that I know that it's in fact true because we no longer trust the institutions around us. We've just caught them lying too Too often. Too
1: many times.
0: (laughs) Too many times. And as a result, we need to have that extra layer of assurance that we're not being lied to again. So, We see things like what we've experienced in 2020 I think is such a vivid living case study we're not done yet. But look at the difference between what was reported get outside of the business framing for the moment just look at what's happened in society over the course of 2020. We're being told one thing by national mainstream press, and yet we can go to Twitter and see live stream video shot from personal mobile phones that is showing us what's happening in the street across major metro areas across the country. And these are not the same stories being told. So if that is in fact the truth, what does that mean for us in a world of business? Well, it means that these same customers who are consumers of news, consumers of culture are also consumers of our products and services. And if we wanna be persuasive with them, if we wanna come across as being truthful, which is increasingly difficult, We have to be able to show the evidence. We have to get out of the role of always trying to be the hero, always trying to be the point. And if we can get out of that role and stand beside our customers and say, let's look together at the evidence. Let me show you what we're looking at and let me, and this is a role that is credible for me to play, let me teach you how to interpret what you're seeing so that you become more expert in being my customer.
1: Yeah, it's That's tremendously a, powerful. It's yeah. And it's a big it's a it's a big shift. Right. I, it almost the my my undergrad was in English. So for me, it's like now everybody wants to read Hamlet instead of mm-hmm. the cliff notes because they don't they don't trust the cliff notes anymore. Mm-hmm. They want they want to get back to, OK, show it to me. Let me trust myself, whether mm-hmm. I whether I do or don't have the mental faculties and 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 structures and frameworks to make truly insightful decisions or or understand something but at least give me that opportunity instead of trying to spoon feed me your version of the reality Mm -hmm. and that trust disappearing is is a huge one i'm curious what other digital realities impact have the digital realities had on culture that you found aside from that lacking that disappearing trust
0: so let's build on that and let's let's i'll i'll briefly go into the third big macro trend. we we mined out a number of trends from the study over over these last 4 years. we focused on the first 3 in in unfiltered marketing for the simple reason that they they comprise a really strong holistic system. we felt these were the macro as opposed to some of the more smaller impact trends that we've seen. The third one that that we mind out because we're living in this age of collapsing trust, because we've had this hunger for raw, the third we call heroic credibility, which means quite simply that we haven't turned off to brand messaging. We haven't turned off to the idea that we can attach ourselves and have loyalty to a brand. However, the biggest and boldest messages that we're willing to connect ourselves to and show loyalty to, and follow, be fans of, are those that align with our personal values. Now, there's a huge asterisk that comes in here. And this is where a lot of brands have gone astray. Go right back to the beginning in the collapse of trust. A brand that expresses its values needs to do so in a way that is observable. And it must be true. It must be something that can be observed through this brand's DNA. How many brands jumped on the bandwagon in 2020, virtue signaling, pointlessly, aimlessly, in this hollow fashion, pretending that they are on board with what? Pick pick Again. any of them, right? <laughs> black Lives Matter. You see, these brands have have made this decision to post a black square on their social profile. <clears throat> and yet there's absolutely no evidence that they ever thought this idea ever crossed their minds before this summer took place. And as a result, the market either rolls its eyes at best or takes them to task at worst. So there's an enormous fork in the road here. And brands that truly are speaking from the heart, the real DNA level brand value alignment, are rewarded for it. Look at, it's everyone's favorite example. We wrote about it extensively in the book. Paul uh, Leinberger, my co-author and partner, had a chance to interview Rose Marcario, who's the recently former CEO of Patagonia. Go research any interview that Yvonne Chouinard, founder of the company, has ever conducted and he's been singing the same song since the 70s. He's absolutely been ruthlessly consistent in his advocacy for the natural world, for preserving the natural environment. Uh, He produces apparel so that his customers can enjoy that natural environment. So when he makes a statement about sustainability, about values surrounding protecting the natural world. He's instantly credible. And that's incredibly important and and it's it's funny because he was he was interviewed and you can find the interview somewhere on YouTube where he was asked about values alignment and why so many other brands come off as as not having that same degree of credibility. And he said a lot of brands, you know, come off as not standing uh, for anything for the simple reason that deep down inside, they don't stand for anything.
1: <laughs> Which is a and sad he's reality. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> he
0: says it in this dry, <laughs> deadpan way. But, you know, coming from him, you have to just sort of <laughs> bow your head in acknowledgement <laughs> that he has, you know, the guru has just spoken on the subject. There's nothing else we really need to say about it. It is true. Most companies don't stand for anything. So it's very difficult for them to all of a sudden jump up and pretend that they do. When that happens, they get thrown to the wolves. Yeah. Cause
1: it comes off as condescending, not true hollow. I mean, there's all the list of, of pandering we could, pandering. Yes. like, yeah, pandering. I mean, and it, and it really, it does, it contributes to this cycle of, you know, I, I can't believe what you're saying. So now that trust goes down, you know, it goes down the toilet even some more. And when we think about that, I, I think, one of the things i've seen is that digital actually allows me as a consumer to be uh resonate with brands on a, on a different level maybe let's yep. even incorporate that raw right i'm specifically looking for control brands that resonate to my view my value framework for engagement w- with the world and i can spot a fake a mile away and it that keeps has cycling to,
0: back yeah. exactly and, it and, keeps cycling back to this issue of trust yeah without and it a doubt can, it can be a self-perpetuating kind of circling the drain or conversely it can it can rebound to your greater uh your 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 greater glory and uh and brand uh and brand loyalty.
1: And and so when we look at you know you specifically mentioned going from B2B and B2C to more of a consumer to business landscape how does that all play together and and work in
0: Well, you know, technology has emerged as the most profound cultural driver in the world hasn't it impacts absolutely everything that we do and everything that we you know from entertainment to productivity to to the way we live our lives now you put all of this in the framing of a customer interaction where they control the levers now of the brand consumer relationship this is a hugely different way of looking at the brand consumer relationship now If the consumer, in fact, controls the brand relationship because we're in a search first world rather than a television advertising first world, where we have peer-to-peer communication that we did not have beyond word of mouth prior to the advent of the smartphone and its mainstreaming, then someone, a steward of, of a brand, really needs to stop and take stock of where they are. Paul Einberger, my partner, uh, wrote about this this uh, human experience design skill set where we have to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of our consumers first instead of our own perspective, which is, you know, what is the sum total of my brand? Well, it's my website and my advertising and a little bit of my PR when in fact a consumer says it's it's your customer service line and the god awful clamshell packaging that I can't open. <laughs> I've had this conversation before. And yeah. and uh, uh, both as a consultant and once upon a time as a PL manager for a, a fairly substantial multinational corporation. And I was kind of shocked <laughs> when I realized I wasn't right. And yeah, so so it does cause you to sort of change the way you think about it. The funnel, there are no absolutes. Let me just quickly before, right. b- before I go tell your listeners that it's this way now. What I mean to say is this way is also true now. Right? There's still a role for for brand to consumer advertising. There's still a role for a top-down message, particularly as a means of stimulating a conversation. <clears throat> that being said, there's a larger role now for the C to B mindset, where it is consumer to business, where consumers do control the relationship. And that that causes a brand manager, chief marketing officer to really stop and think. It has yeah. to. It Plus should. The script.
1: Yeah. Flips the scripts essentially, and so when there's leaders out there that are struggling with this, whether it be those those chief marketing officers or even some of the CEOs, hopefully that are also understanding that that the landscape yep. has has changed almost fundamentally. What is it that you like? If you could tell them, hey, there's this one thing you need to do to really make sure, or maybe not do, should be aware of, mm-hmm. to build trust and credibility with customers. If they were, if they came here and said, hey. Stephen, give me one or two things I need to focus on. What would those things be?
0: Well, if you go back to the, to, to the premise of unfiltered marketing, we talk about these three macro trends. And each one is really interesting and important to be considered as a standalone pillar, something that can be workshopped and implemented to improve what we're doing. But there's an interesting wrinkle here that I think addresses your point. When we panned back as the um, managers of this body of research, we realized that there was something more powerful than the individual components. It really was the sum being greater than the individual pieces. So we saw seeking control plus raw plus heroic credibility as being a playbook, a blueprint for leadership in 2020, 2021 and beyond. It's not that we have to seize on one. It's if we can consider each one of these three as a system, right? Consider each one of these three in a system uh, setting, then we all of a sudden see the power of what this framework means. How do we persuade customers? How do we persuade employees to get on board? Because again, in a C2B world, these employees that work for us in our companies, they have the same concerns, they are the same jaded consumers 24 hours a day. Just because <laughs> they work for us does not mean they don't think like most people do. How can we push control back into their hands? How can we give them visibility and closure that they know where they are, whether it's KPIs for an employee or what's the status of an order? How do I get something to work if it's not working the way I want it to there's a hundred different ways we can animate this point of seeking control raw how how can we communicate in an effective unscripted in process sort of co-developed sense can we work with our customers work with our employees so that they're part of this process and of course you know heroic credibility ties this up with a neat bow because we're giving them a North Star. We're giving them a goal towards which we are working as a company. And you can jump on board and come with us or not. And everything cycles back to trust, to how we communicate that trust, to how we project that sense of leadership. Yeah, I love it.
1: I love it. Very well said. So, all right, let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. First is simply... As a revenue executive yourself, that means you're a prospect for sales professionals. And so mm-hmm. like everybody else, you're getting inundated with requests to get on your calendar. Always curious to understand when somebody doesn't have a trusted referral into you, how do they capture your attention and build the credibility and earn the right to time on your calendar? What works most effectively for you?
0: It's it's funny that you, that you framed it in that way because the sales approach that works best is, is that trusted intro. And if we put it back into sort of the language of unfiltered marketing, that's rehumanizing the digital relationship. How can we interject that sense of of of, of that human touch, of getting around those barriers of trust? Social selling, call it whatever buzzword you need. I'm just <laughs> reflecting on my own personal. You know yeah. my own personal experiences. That's that's what you want to hear uh, about, and the thing that works the best is when someone I know says you should talk to this person. And really, if if we view that as the dead center of the bullseye, what are those rings that that, that radiate outwards? Well, I, I I want to hear about people like me and the experiences that people like me have had. So, anything I can do to get as close as possible to that bullseye that's what's most effective the other thing you know frankly speaking and 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 it's 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 timing does my prospective vendor know where i am in whatever decision that i'm making i don't need someone to come and tell me that they can redo my website when my website is done and unless my website is time i have made some decision sent some signal that it's time to change, right? <laughs> so I don't need that. So now it becomes a question of timing. So that is personalization. That is deep knowledge. That is the research that goes into this. If someone sends me a generic message, it's always deleted. Always deleted. I've found, you know, again, from promoting unfiltered marketing to whatever consulting work that I'm doing, that so much of this just comes back to being willing to over prepare being willing to over research what you're doing and sometimes the magic works and sometimes it doesn't That doesn't mean that when i do that i get 100% hit rate because regrettably i don't but it's what makes it hard it's They call it work
1: for reason and it's it's part of the game you have yeah. to do that. If, if you're not prepared you're going to say your, your risk goes through the roof Either way, anyway, you slice it. So, all right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. There's one thing you could tell sales marketing uh, people, one piece of advice you'd give them that you believe would help them uh, hit or exceed their targets. What would it be and why?
0: Well, you know, the, the, the one thing that's going to help them hit or exceed their targets. Let me just dig into the uh, the framework and and mine out one trend. I think what we just talked about is important. Okay, so it's not something we should casually dismiss. I always said that, in in particularly in marketing a book, if you do a hundred times as much as you think is necessary, you'll discover that you've you've managed to do the bare minimum to achieve your goals. <laughs> right, and that I think is true. I think in this day and age, at this red hot second, if we look at the at the at the data and the case studies and the reality of technology as a cultural driver. The most important thing we can do is to remove our ego from the equation where we have to be right. The customer has to surrender. And if we can really embrace this concept of raw, this says I'm not here to beat down your defenses. I'm just here to show you the evidence. And I'm going to stand shoulder to shoulder with you. And together, we're going to look out at this body of work, whatever it happens to be, And I'm going to teach you how to interpret it. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to say, this is why it's important to you, I think. And your customer can get on board or not. I've I've found this to be true for me. And I found it to be true a lot over a long period of time. To take that approach and to say, look, my prospect has gone cold. They're not returning my calls. We're all in a B2B environment here, right? Your listeners... I don't sell a B2C product. I'm, I'm a B2B practitioner and prospects go cold. And what I find is I, I keep them in mind and I send them information, I send them data that may not be my data, maybe someone else's data, maybe an article, maybe a link, maybe someone else's research. So I was thinking about this and I saw this and it absolutely relates to what we were talking about a month ago when we were last in touch and sooner or later they resurface and they say thanks for sending that along. And all of a sudden the conversation's back on the on the front burner, uh, or not. <laughs> but at least it helps you get through. Helps give you a sense of closure. Right. Absolutely. I found it to be true. And
1: I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. There's it's all about what's going to be valuable to them in the end of the day. So, Stephen, if a listener wants to get a book, where do you want us to send them?
0: Oh, at Unfiltered Marketing: Five Rules to Win Back trust, credibility, and customers in a digitally distracted world. It's available absolutely everywhere you buy books. All right. So you can go to Amazon and you can get it on Kindle. You can get it Barnes and Noble. If you're buying for your team and you want to get a couple of copies or a bunch of copies, our good friends at Porchlight Books used to be 800 CEO Reed have very generous bulk discounts and they're terrific. So uh, and there's an audio version as well. So you can find it.
1: <laughs> and if somebody is interested in getting in touch with you to learn more about this or learn more about the ways that you help support some of the, the pillars in the book, where should we send them?
0: Oh, the easiest way to find me is is just come to the website, which is at D like Denny L, as in Lineberger, dlstrategy.com. And that finds me. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm very active on Twitter. I'm easy to find.
1: Excellent. Well, Stephen, I can't thank you enough for taking time. It's been an absolute
0: pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, I appreciate you inviting me on. I hope this is useful to your listeners. This really is an interesting time. And, you know, so often when we talk to sales executives, marketing executives about technology and culture, the conversation just devolves into a discussion of MarTech stacks. And really where people need to be spending time and attention is on the human side, on the culture side, because that's where the big shift has taken place. So Absolutely. I hope it and was it's, useful. And it's hard,
1: you know, it's funny because we don't, we don't spend enough time. We, we all get so, we all get so caught up in the tech and I, mm-hmm. I like to tell people, look, if technology was going to solve the problems, it would have done it by now, especially in yeah. a B2B environment. So yeah, it's all about the people. Again, I can't thank you for taking time. It's been great having
0: you on the show. Wonderful. Good to talk to you. Thank you very much.
1: All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. Get a copy of the book. It's well worth a read. Until next time, we at value-selling associates. Wish you all nothing but the greatest success.
0: You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.